I'm Nicole Kasperson, fintech journalist, and this is What the Fintech. As a journalist who has covered the finance sector over the last five years, I've had the opportunity to interview and engage with some of the best minds in the space. The media landscape is changing, and financial services is grabbing the attention of a more diversified audience than ever before. As a member of that growing demographic, I will provide direct access to the inner workings of a complex industry while bringing an unconventional perspective to news coverage. Leaving big bank earning reports to the boring traditional media firms, I'll focus on the tech-savvy apps, digital investing platforms, challenger banks, and payment giants to drive relevant content that looks forward to disruption instead of fearing it. How can you stop fake signups, secure transactions, and improve engagement? With SIFT. I know founders are often laser-focused on growth, and that's when you need end-to-end protection against fraud. With SIFT, digital safety is effortless. Interested in finding out more? Head to Miami in April to meet with SIFT at Bitcoin 2022. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of What the Fintech, a podcast for fintech professionals who are ready to shape the future of our industry with innovation and inclusion. I'm your host, Nicole Kasperson, and today I'm interviewing Adriana Salmon. She's a principal at Clock Tower Technology Ventures, a firm that invests in fintech companies from pre-seed to Series B in the US, Europe, and Latin America. Its portfolio includes fintechs like Alloy, Chime, and Moneyline, just to name a few. Before Clock Tower, Adriana spent some time at Chase's digital payments team and as an investment banking analyst at JP Morgan. In this episode, you'll learn about Adriana's past experiences as an international student from Ecuador and how those experiences have shaped the way she approaches VC and financial inclusion in her day-to-day. Welcome, Adriana, to What the Fintech. Thank you, Nicole. Thanks for having me today. Very excited to be here. Yes, yes. So excited to have you. You are one of the few like leading ladies in the VC world that I'm having join the podcast. So want to see more of you uh, on the show. To start, I want to ask, how are you today and where are you working from? I'm doing great. Today, you're actually catching me in Colorado. I'm spending the full week here trying to get some skiing done before starting to work. So it's been a great week so far. <laughs> Can't complain. Oh, nice. All right. We're in Colorado. A Keystone. Okay. Nice. Have you been before? Yeah, I came last year for the first time and nice. loved it and we're here one more time. Nice. <laughs> nice. My So my best friend since like high school, she lives in Durango, Colorado. So I make a visit every now and then. The last time I went, I tried snowboarding and completely like destroyed my tailbone. So I'm a skier. <laughs> Um, I don't know about it's here. I've concluded I, I really don't love snowboarders, so it's <laughs> way more fun and safer. Nice. And people nice. will love you more. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice, nice. Well, um, to get a little into just your background and kind of learn more about you, you grew up in Ecuador and moved to the States to go to the University of Pennsylvania. Kudos to you. <laughs> what was the most surprising thing you learned about yourself? throughout that experience as an international student? What really changed my life at Penn was I, I grew up in a place that everyone was from the same religion, the same ways of thinking. That was the only truth to me. And going to Penn really brought in my mind to so many kinds of amazing people and from all over the world. 
that I realize I'm way more open-minded than I thought I, I, I would ever be. And I thrive in diversity and I really enjoy learning more about people and, and experiences and I never thought were possible. And that's like the one thing that shocked me the most and I will never forget. Great answer to that question, right? Um, because I think we all can relate. That happens to a lot of us growing up. Like I definitely feel that there are certain kind of just mindsets depending on where you are, right? Um, whether, you know, maybe they are more traditional, maybe they're not or whatever it is. But, you know, th those experiences are incredibly shaping and then you experience something completely different in a whole other world. And you're like, oh, wow, like people talk like this or dress like this or you know, say these things or whatever it is. And, and I, yeah, I also learned to speak English way better than I used to. And I also learned that you could study policy even if you're ESL. So that was a very great learning takeaway for me. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Exactly. I mean, and what a feat, right? Like I, so much admiration on my end for international students because college is hard enough. Learning is hard enough. And to come in and, you know, do it in a whole other language in a whole other country, like some of us move states for college, but other countries, a, it's a whole, whole other <laughs> can of worms. Yeah, exactly. And so I just like, I asked that question because I imagine that, you know, those are some of those like values, like they probably, that those experiences probably created a lot of like values for you that you bring into your career, into your day to day today. But yeah, I'd love to maybe learn more about kind of what some of those core values are for you. I think honesty is always the key value for me. And I, more than the ethical component of it, just the sheer efficiency of being honest. It just can make things so much easier. Um, and I think we have cultivated a very honest and open culture at Glove Tower that it's the kind of culture I thrive in. I, I didn't have that before. And it's very hard for me to, to play the game and the politics and like, what do you tell this person? But like, why don't you tell them? Same with founders, same with RBCs. I just say things the way I genuinely think they are. And it's pretty effective. So to me, that's a number one value that I, I keep in mind, both personally and professionally. I think beyond that, values that made me, cause me to respect other people are being coherent with what you care about and what you do and being very passionate about what you're doing. Yeah, love that. Love that. And, um, and the honesty factor. I think that's something we're all kind of learning a little bit more as the pandemic recedes, I guess, because... Yeah, we're, we're, you know, changing jobs or moving and doing different things than maybe we had originally planned because the world changed and a pandemic happened. And yeah, and I think that more people are starting to see that honesty is like the and transparency and just being yourself is actually the way to yeah. to do all the it's things. It's way easier. Love. Honestly, it's way easier. You figure out Woo, things. Yeah. Like so I love <laughs> I love being honest. It's so, so much better. <laughs> So much better. Uh, seriously. And so, I mean, in that, you know, and think about it, I guess those are the kind of, you know, things that you hold true to you that really led you to the job with Clock Tower, which you took roughly three years ago, right? Exactly. Yes. End of 2018. Nice. And then you moved to California, my original home state. <laughs> so making just major changes and upgrades from like career to personal so I'm going to ask you a very California question, and if we're just going to see what happens. Do you love the California weather, the beaches, all the things that you get there more than you dislike sitting in traffic on, say, the 405? A hundred percent, yes. 
And it's <laughs> like no doubt in my mind, but it's just funny because I did manage to hack my life in California where my office is in Santa Monica and my house is a 10 minute walk. So I really have rarely experienced a 401 craze unless it's going to some sort of work event in downtown LA or farther east. But other than that, it, it really doesn't affect my daily life. And so the sunshine truly outweighs every every single aspect of it. And I really love it. I do find that I'm happier than I used to be <laughs> ever since I moved to LA. They <laughs> say happiness is higher. <laughs> yeah, that too. And then they say winter is a choice, which apparently I love New York enough to make winter a choice yeah. uh, and freeze my ass off all the time. But anyways, I... I'm originally from from Orange County, um, born and raised there. So, you know, awesome, awesome. Have you been to San Santa Monica Pier yet? And like road rides, is, is it open right now? Or I, I don't know. <laughs> I've been. I think I went when I just moved, but I haven't road rides actually. I've just walked oh, okay, just walked through it. Yeah, yeah grab like a funnel cake. That's amazing. Exactly. <laughs> and then you're also really passionate about financial inclusion. I've kind of heard you say that on like other podcasts and things. So. And I believe that's what really drew you to the fintech space. So from that lens, which we have that entirely in common, it's like what made me want to continue on in in fintech as like a creator and a journalist and I guess podcaster now. But why choose to become an investor instead of, you know, an operator or any other kind of career path that you could have taken, sales, whatever? Yeah, I love that question. And I can give you an answer right now, but it, it doesn't mean that it's not something that I constantly have been thinking about. In fact, when I was ready to make the jump from investment banking into something related to fintech, I was very focused on finding an operating role. I guess being an international student and having visa requirements makes you way less marketable to an early stage startup. Um, mm-hmm. And that that did impact where, where I looked. But once I found Clock Tower, really Clock Tower found me on LinkedIn I didn't really know what to expect. I just knew I was joining a team that was super smart and passionate about financial services. And I knew that I would learn something about fintech that would give me enough exposure to enough founders to later find find out what the subsequent part of my path would look like. And it's been three years already. It's been way longer than, than I ever imagined it would be for me to move to a totally different state and, and start life from scratch. And there's a true charm to being also an investor. There's there's definitely, the more time I spend with founders, I realize that the sense of accomplishment that they will feel, I probably will never feel whenever they sell their company. And I, I understand that. But at the same time, I love helping people. And I love connecting with a lot of people. And I love seeing many things at the same time. I, I, I actually think I'm a pretty impatient person. And the pace at which we work when you're in venture meeting new people constantly, getting you know, grasp of new ideas and thinking about how the world will continue to evolve and look like has been, to me, the best way to get involved in financial services and most importantly, supporting founders that are helping financial inclusion. So I love being an investor today. I see myself doing that for a while, but I would never say totally no to, to one, one day maybe jumping to the other side. But so far I'm learning so much and feel like there's also ways of tangible impact in the way we partner with founders that that I also get a lot of sense of accomplishment in, in doing that. And that makes so much sense. Um, oh, I want to pick your brain more about Clock Tower and uh, the VC world. But before I do, I do want to ask, like, 
Was there like a moment where it kind of like clicked for you? Like, you know what? I want to make the jump to fintech, you know, as opposed to, you know, the, the prior roles that you had in, you know, investment analysis and, and those type of things. Yes. Yeah. Did you have like a moment, an epiphany? I literally had a moment. It's insane. I, like, just like the movies where I, it, I will never forget. It was what, like 2 a.m. in my investment banking cubicle. And I had to finish like a long presentation. I was going to be there through 6 a.m. So I was taking a break, scrolling through Facebook. And I saw this ad for, I think it's Payjoy. It's part of Happy Money, a fintech company that had this Mm -hmm. article that talked about how psychology can help you make better financial decisions and how this app was helping people triggering in the right way to save more and do more things. And I read that article and I was like, like, I literally was like, wow, this is it. You can use technology to help people make better financial decisions. And I had never heard of the word fintech. And I, I just started reading through that and like, was, oh, it's a fintech company. So then I started just researching a ton. I started going to meetups in New York and attending. I remember Common Bond used to host summer series where they would bring fintech founders to talk about their life. And I went to all of those. And I started to network my way through founders because I, I had no clue about venture. I, I truly didn't even really understand how these companies were funded. So I was very, very focus on, on meeting more operation, operators and understanding the different parts of fintech. And in parallel, um, the LATAM opportunity lit up. Like back then, I was already thinking, wow, everyone in LATAM has a smartphone. No one in LATAM has a bank account. Fintech yeah. is a solution. And so every, <laughs> I could never look back after that moment where I was like, this is what I want to do. I don't really know if it's a start, if it's something else, uh, but I really want to be involved here. And so the first step I took in that direction was, in fact, joining the payments team at JP Morgan, which was very immediate, much more seamless transition in, within the corporation. Also, visa-wise, way easier. So I was like, oh, I want to understand this lingo. I want to see how this works. And at first, they were, they were like, why does this girl from investment banking want to join this product team in a totally different brand of JP Morgan Chase? And what can she possibly do for us also? <laughs> and so they made me go through this whole sort of consulting-like process. And and in doing that, I was like, this is so fun. Like, this is really what I want to learn about. And spent a year there, which really demystified a lot of very fundamental concepts like, what is an API? <laughs> and then I started to figure out what Venture was. And then Club Tower came along, like, right time, right place. And it felt right for me to move to Santa Monica for a seemingly totally new adventure and and that's how I ended up here. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That that's that's awesome, right? It's like you're right. That is like a movie. It's like a dream situation. It's kind of I guess like a job moved me from I was living in Texas before I moved to New York. That's kind of somewhat what happened to me basically, right? So I totally feel you there. Uh when it comes to Clock Tower, I know that you know the firm kind of approaches VC and maybe a different way than is more traditional. And I believe it's because it's, you called it a collaborative co-investor. So we talked to us about like what that means and why that strategy just makes sense for you. Of course. So what it means is that when we engage with founders and when we do investments, we never take board seats and we never lead rounds. So we never write term sheets and price rounds. We're always part of a syndicate writing smaller checks than the lead, 
And the daily interactions with founders are much more ad hoc and geared towards a specific ask rather than first quarterly interactions in the form of what would be a board, right? So that's the definition. And that has allowed us to have more than 148 investments to date, which it's just a different kind of portfolio construction, right? And why do I like it? I love it. I find there's a lot of synergies that you can unlock from this model that make makes us both better investors and better providers of an ecosystem that founders can tap in a unique way than the relationship they get with amazing VCs that are taking on the day-to-day role. So we act as a complement to them. I guess on why it's good for founders, it's we have more of a friendly relationship where they reach out to us when there's something very specific they need help with. And very consistently, the way we deliver on that is connecting them to a pretty sophisticated network in financial services, right? So we spend more time than the average venture fund talking to big banks and big carriers of insurtech and big fintech companies that their corporate teams and even policymakers sometimes and just curating an ecosystem where a founder in financial services can tap everything that they need um, for a company to get the right guidance, the right partnerships to succeed. And then mm-hmm. there's also a component of having 148 fintech founders all over the world between LATAM, Europe, and the US that by itself is very synergistic. Founders sell their products to each other, partner with each other, mentor each other. We, we have them together in yearly gatherings and we try to make sure that they can leverage our ecosystem in the most efficient way possible without it requiring our time on like a monthly or quarterly basis, the way I mentioned. Um, in terms of why I like it as an investor, especially as my first investment, like venture capital exposure, it allows us to go deep in the vertical, right? We see a very high volume of companies. So it's not weird for me to see five iterations of the same thing being done within a reasonable time period. And so that allows us to be very helpful to other VCs when they're doing diligence in other funds and very helpful to our founders when they're thinking about strategy. And like, we have so much more reps than the average FinTech VC because we're, all we do all day is talk to founders and learn more about them and, and exploring themes. And so we just spend our time in a different way that is very complementary to, to the more traditional structure. Yeah, it's almost like very community feeling, almost like, right? And then having, like, hey, it's like the founders in there, like, hey, we're in the same portfolio. What's up? Yeah, like, exactly. let's, <laughs> it's totally like, like that. what are you guys up to? <laughs> it's super cool. I mean, there's a lot of, like, fintech has a very complementary stack, right? And there's a lot of services that are sold to our companies and companies that can leverage pieces of infrastructure, so being very good at being at the core of that and putting those pieces together, that itself is very valuable. Right, exactly. I mean, you have, like you said, what, 140 something fintech companies, a part of the portfolio. I mean, when it comes to, and like nothing super specific, but I know you guys have like a Chime and Money Lion and all these like big names, but you know, what is maybe like for you personally, what feels like super fulfilling is it, you know, when you do kind of like work with that that big brand name that already is really established? Or do you feel kind of like super fulfilled when you're kind of just helping like a, maybe a smaller fintech like get their, their running with? Yeah, so we're earlier stage, right? So when we invested in Tiam and yeah. Money Lion, they were not what they are today. Um, right. 
And for sure, to me, that's the most fulfilling part. We're primarily seeing investors in terms of count of companies. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that with a call and a couple of intros, there's a very tangible difference that you can make in that path. And it's just very fun for me to see when the company goes from two co-founders to 10 people to 50 people to 500 employees. Mm-hmm. Like Seeing that progression is very fulfilling. And the way we add value throughout the progression is also very different. And our frequency of interaction also evolves as companies grow, right? SIFT is my favorite way for growing businesses to prevent fraud. I know ambitious founders appreciate support to grow while being fully protected against fraud. SIFT is fighting your corner on the global fintech stage with end-to-end protection, along with digital trust and safety technology every step of the way. They've already signed up some major players in the industry. Visit SIFT.com to learn more. So when you say like the value, would you elaborate on that a little? I want to like definitely pick your brain on kind of that extra value. I mean, I guess like the community and the kind of more mentorship aspect and the fact that you can kind of add that extra bit of guidance right earlier on since you're, you know, focused on that pre-seed to series like B realm. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess elaborating on that extra value that you bring even more, you know, when you say that. Yeah, I I guess concretely is I need more deadlines. I am a lender and I'm tapping out of my current line and I need to meet more lenders that are not the three well-known ones, but I want to meet hedge funds that will be willing to do this more creative sort of credit that I'm doing. We know like so many of those, you know, or I am ready to raise my next round. I need help finding the next lead investor, but I also want someone that partners with me and helps me back channel the experience that they had when they were talking to me, practice the pitch, go through the pitch and provide a, a very positive and warm introduction from a neutral player that is net on your side of the court. So having that sort of alley that's sitting on the back seat rather than in the front seat, like very obviously there, is also low-key, very interesting to our founders. And aside from that, I can give you other examples of like, you know, I, I am a carrier, I need more capacity. These are the insurance carriers that are focusing on your stage. And there's a, a million other things like that. Yeah, no, no. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the examples because <laughs> what I got out of that is customize, like customization, basically, or personalization or having the, you know, agility, I guess, to, or like the, the core, like that, those values, you know, that we're like, kind of we're, we're talking about that, you know, clearly kind of fall into the, the clock tower realm as well is, yeah, being able to actually give like founders a kind of more personalized experience because you're working with them young and, um, you know, you have that more of that collaborative co-investor hat, right? Like you said, like sitting in the, in the more of the backseat and being like, we got you, we support you. Yeah, exactly. You we to- sometimes call ourselves cheerleaders instead of shareholders. <laughs> and I, I really think that's how we, we operate. Yeah. I think also because, you know, I mean, I mean, granted I'm like the founder of like a, uh, more of like a content creation brand or a news brand in fintech. But like, you know, even if you're um, you know, a founder of like a SaaS company and you're like a former engineer, you're still probably very like, you know, these are people's like babies, basically, yeah. right? Like the company, like they're, the, they're these, um, it's like a, almost a creative thing. And I think that when you're like a creative or you're building something new in any capacity, like you definitely like, there's this level of just like nurture. I'm learning this so much myself. Um, but yeah, there's this like level of just like nurture that is needed. And, you know, the 
raising money is like the most draining thing. It's, you know, so I've heard it's the, um, you know, it's the hardest thing to, you know, to put like that thing you love so much in front of someone and try to try to get them to put money behind it. And 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 also hearing a lot of people telling you why they think this will never work. Right. And so it takes a lot of thick skin and I really respect it. That's to me the most inspiring yeah. part of, of Minion Founders is you really are living everything to to chase a dream and and you're willing to put your soul out there and like tell everyone what you care about and like be very open to them telling you it sucks. But then hopefully you find the person that tells you it's great and keep going from there. Right. And I love having the conversation of like this, right? And you know, earlier you had said when it clicked for you for fintech, it was like the behavioral like almost finance aspect of it, right? Or the psychology of it. And there's so much in that, in what you're doing every day. So like, how cool is it that that's like what sparked it for you? And then now you're like doing that. You're dealing with people's like psychology <laughs> yeah. every day. It's so cool. Yeah. I love it. It's yeah. really everything that's- I wanted it to be. So I'm very happy. Amazing. So, I mean, when it comes to, you know, and I, I think that in the VC world, there are, you know, definitely going to be instances where founders in front of, folks that want, you know, market size potential, maybe over a, you know, over passion or over authenticity. But will you kind of talk to us about how, what kind of values of a founder or of a company are just more intriguing or drive you uh, when you're evaluating a, a fintech? It varies by stage, but I would definitely say at the seed stage, I guess we're also a little weird in that we put way less emphasis, emphasis on the market size than the average VC would and and it's an interesting question that you ask. We really do care about. I guess authenticity reflects in many ways, right? It's not just do I care about the cause? Is is my background relevant to the cause that I'm pursuing? And do I have the charisma to attract the right talent to build this? Do I have the technical know-how or the right technical partners to help me build it? And so we sincerely think that if an idea appears niche at first, but you're an amazing founder and there's a lot of passion and and know-how that you're bringing to the cause, there's the market will expand by itself and you'll figure out the way to thrive or, or to continue growing and ultimately produce a solid outcome. If you focus more on the market, uh, in my opinion, if I care more about what on paper the idea looks and feels like rather than what that founder is really trying to, to do or like how good they are for that product, I think there's going to be another pair of founders that find the same opportunity and, and pursue it in a much better way, right? So I really do think that human talent is at the core of what matters most. Yeah. And it's such a roller coaster ride to build a company that you cannot do it without the passion and authenticity that it requires to make it happen. Yeah, uh, I love that. And I think it's like we can only hope that more, you know, leaders in in the VC world and like especially when it caters to fintech uh, companies can kind of see it like that and, um, you know, elevate people that have like, and it's what I do with this podcast, right? It's really important for me to, that my guests are folks that, you know, are mission driven, that, you know, really are passionate about what they do because, yeah, I'm, I want to follow the people mm-hmm. that are making moves in the fintech industry and like innovating the space, right? And and not just the the company or, you know, a place that just has like the most money or whatever, you know? And I think media for so long has forgotten to democratize like the people that they actually like cover or the uh, voices that they elevate. And 
and it, that happens across you know so many industries and so to see the kind of you know a clock tower and yourself and the VC world try to you know break break the mold a little bit is it's refreshing right and it's it's nice to see as opposed to like a very almost like I don't know why like I think of like a shark tank <laughs> like will this make me more of a billionaire than I already am or <laughs> so like right like I don't care about your passion but I what is maybe an experience that you never expected you would have when you joined like fintech VC world? So when they joined fintech VC world, I truly had no idea what to expect. I probably thought it was more like a shark tank situation than yeah. what it really is. And so to be honest, the, the biggest shock to me was that it's not like you you tell a founder, hey, here's my money, they'll take it. But the balance of power is pretty, pretty shifted, right? And it really takes a lot for like VCs really do thrive on reputation, like real reputation of how they behave with other founders and with other venture funds and, and how well do they know the subject matter they're going after. And you really have to earn your spot into a round rather than just choosing the round that you want to be in. And that art behind, you know, winning deals and convincing people that you are also the right partner for them is something that I totally underestimated how it would go. It makes total sense now that it is like that, and and I love that. But that was definitely the total. I had such a stereotypical view of what we see would feel like that. Yeah, that was a different thing. I mean, right now you're you're demystifying some of it for me too, right? <laughs> like I I feel like I cover a lot of the, um, and I've had like you know like Amy Naokis on the show, and she is like absolutely amazing, and um, you know, so I've had some folks on the investor side, but it takes a lot of intentional thought to have your VC firm or investment firm or whatever, right? Like to have these kind of viewpoints and to have these lanes of thinking and cause it isn't like the normal way that our world works, right? Like I said, like the totally. world works with like, okay, like who has the most money? That's who I'm going to follow or <laughs> whatever as opposed. And it's like, ah, and I think we've all learned to not do that as much because of the pandemic. And I mean, that that's true. not necessarily what's best for everything. Um, I love that. I do want to ask also thinking about like back on inclusion. I mean, I'm sure you know that, you know, the, the figures are dismal when it comes to, you know, women and people of color, fintech founders receiving VC funding. Um, pretty sure for women, not sure what the latest number is. I think it's like 3%. I've been, I, it's, it can change, but even if it trickled up a little bit, it's like, shitty um so (laughs) when you think about when you hear that do you ever think about like you know wanting to help make like a difference in that through like your own action through your through your firm because you know if you are like naturally looking at like passion and drive you know hell those you know that group of people are the ones that aren't receiving as much funding so they must be like showing the that passion and drive even further but yeah, I just wanted to like ask your thoughts on kind of no, hundred percent, and it's a topic that's super relevant for me and for us as an organization. Where first of all, it's the way that you can invest in more diverse talent is in having more diverse investors that can break through some of the loss in translation or cultural asymmetry when you interact with a person that doesn't look like you. And we exactly. we witness even like internally, like when we have a ton of women in the team and. The quality of the discussion is just so much better. And so then how do you fix that, right? It's important to have more investors, as I said, not just junior investors, but investors across the rank that really do care about 
um, having more people that look like them. that are not like more from diverse backgrounds. And so how have I worked towards it and how do I care about it? There's two very specific like concrete things I've been working on. One is more like just generally women and the other one is more in like racial minority. And so on the women front, I've been a member of the Synergies Network. I, I launched our LA chapter, which basically seeks to connect women in BuySide and, and create mentorship and relationship opportunities to sort of replicate the camaraderie that more men find in the workplace because of the sheer majority of them, right? So I've loved the cause behind the chapter and like the high quality talent that it has attracted. And, and there's very concrete, positive externalities that you can just tell, like getting more women from banking into all sorts of private equity and getting women in private equity to stay and, and find ways to help each other. I guess the other side of it is, and part of the Access Project, it's an entirely a non-partnered VC run project. It's just five or six of us. It's really not like a massive organization in any way, but we do offer free office hours to any minority founder that wants to ask the questions about VC that no one wants to tell them, right? I think there's a lot of information asymmetry that comes from the kinds of networks you surround yourself by, right? So it's not super obvious that if you've never met a friend who's in VC or you didn't go to a school that had a lot of people who ended up in VC, that you would understand how these processes work and what's the right approach to get in front of them. So we think a way of democratizing access to information is by providing our own time in a totally unbiased perspective and just tell them unfiltered advice on what we think they should do, how they should think about fundraising, if they should even fundraise for a venture outcome or if they should stick to a more traditional uh, lifestyle situation and like help them think through that and understand the differences. Great. Kudos to you. Like, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing and for, you know, establishing you know, a chapter in LA for doing, you know, not just one, but kind of two avenues, right, to help both women and minority founders because it's just absolutely needed. And I think, I think sometimes it can be you have to have like almost like an outer body experience to realize how how much of importance it is that of the seats that we sit in, right? Like I think about it like every single day. I think about it when I have a podcast guest. I think about it when I write a, write a newsletter. And, and so it's like amazing to see it on kind of one of the other avenues of the fintech space, right? In the, in the VC world, investing world. And so you and your seat is like so important. So thank you so much for like what you're doing. Okay. For- There's so much that has to be done. But yeah, I, I'm still I, so obviously I'm trying. Like I, I truly don't yeah. take it for granted and don't think it should be understated. Right, exactly. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, I love this. And so kind of like my last, maybe my last two questions for you. The last one is actually a lightning round. This is technically still a few questions. Okay, <laughs> so what do you think is the most underrated fintech trend or innovation right now? I think it's real-time payment rails in emerging markets. Like people are totally underestimating how well real-time payments are working in places like Mexico and Brazil. And why is that underrated? That sets the stage for faster, better, more reliable financial services on top of it, right? So right. I'm very excited to see how that evolves on the payment front. Nice. Okay. That's good. That's good. You didn't say that like, you know, crypto or the metaverse or investing. I mean, that's not underrated, right? It's like probably overrated if you want to take yours. Totally. It's definitely like out there. So wouldn't count. 
That was I know that would have been like the opposite if I would have asked exactly. you the most overrated. Exactly. Okay, so then I want to get into like a little bit of like a lightning round of like innovations and trend in fintech that maybe you're most excited about. Of course, looking at the different regions that your clock tower covers. So you one of these payments might apply to one of these, but to start with the US. Most innovative trend in fintech you're excited about? On consumer on consumer fintech, highly, highly customized financial services more than ever before. Yes. Yes. Okay. This brings me joy because these are the areas, that's an area that I like to focus on too. So thank you for validating me. In <laughs> Europe. Europe, I'm less connected, but I think open banking is finally setting the stage for more interesting things to come. All right. This is cool. And Lat- Latin America. Distribution of credit via software and marketplaces. So embedded credit over traditional neo-SMB ways of distribution. Yes. Okay. These are like all, almost all areas that I was, that were also highly on my radar. Some of these not, but so yes, thank you. Thank you for the insight. Um, And I think my guests will love that as well, but thank you. So wrapping kind of up, I do just want to ask you my final question. See, that was like almost before I said like, you had two questions. It was kind of like five tied into two. (laughs) Anyways, my last question, swear this is, I swear. Final thoughts, Adriana, please tell us what the F we can expect from you next. More investments in Latin America. We're <laughs> <laughs> having a bigger and bigger presence down there and, and that was making a, a really impact in the region. Yes. Okay. Yes. I like wrote one of those because who doesn't love listicles at the end of a year or the beginning of a year? So at the end of 2021, I wrote like a what I crystal ball about fintech and one of those literally from just reporting on the industry. And I think one of my top three was like investments in LATM. So um, yes, thank you for validating me again. I'm obviously on the right track. So Clearly that are. is a <laughs> total visionary. Yes. yes. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Okay. So that is a wrap on this episode of what the fintech. Thank you again, Adriana, for joining us. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you loved this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button. You can find me on all your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time, talk to you soon.